Brad Korn is here, and uh, whatever it is for uh, Adam Larson, it's got to be a high-calorie count, right? We want, a, we want a big lunch for Adam Larson. That's right. That's right. Um, I'm surprised he's not still in the gym shooting. He, you pointed it out yesterday. He came in after the game and got some shots up after the game. So um, glad Adam's here. Glad he's part of the program. Great young man. Great basketball player. So uh, we talk about bringing the right kind of guys into the program. He's one of those guys. Yeah, do you like to, how he wears his hat backwards? Um, yeah. Are you a hat backwards guy? I don't think I've ever seen you wear a hat. Yeah, you know, uh, maybe when I golf, that's where his hat. He's a, he's a golfer. He's an athlete. Uh, kind of has a lot of natural ability. Track, high jump, I think it was in, in high school, set some records. So, uh, just a uh, all around athlete. Just kind of a natural, natural born athlete can do a lot of do a lot of things. But um, you six feet nine inch golfers, you can't just walk into a, a pro shop and get clubs, right? You gotta you gotta go through the whole measuring ordering process you just can't use normal clubs right yeah no no not at all not at all i love the golf i'm not very good he's supposedly really good uh, but no one ever has played with him he's kind of that guy everyone's always a good golfer when right. no one plays with you you know what i mean oh yeah 300 today uh, yeah no big problem you know um i'm i'm, I'm a pretty good um uh, what's the thing called joe the, the little arcade game uh, golden tea golden tea i'm a yeah. good, i'm a real good all golden right. tea guy so uh, there's something you did not know about Coach Brad Corn. He excels at uh, Golden Tea. Red Hawks were uh, winners yesterday. Uh, we'll start with uh, Adam Larson here. Had I told you before the game that Adam Larson would go one of eight from three, but he would finish with 15 points in the ball game, what would you have said? I yeah, what I would. I would not have thought that, obviously, with the way he's been shooting the basketball. But uh, the thing that he has done, and we talked a little bit about it, is it, in talking to him even after the UMKC game, is now finding a different way to impact the game other than just shooting. Of course, he can shoot the basketball, and we need him to do that. And I think that's the beautiful thing about our team and Rob Martin and BJ point guards pushing the ball, getting them shots in transition. Just watching the film back, Rob got him two, three looks just on one more into the corner. And so Adam's got to do a great job of sprinting to the corner in transition. That's got to be his thing because, again, a lot of guys, you can impact the game so many ways. You don't have to be the best ball handler. You don't have to be the most physical guy. There's a lot of different things that you can do to impact the game. And with Adam's skill set and his size and his quick release, uh, he really helps make the game four-on-four offensively for us. And so that creates more space for guys for driving. It opens up the lane for post players. So there's a lot of things that he can do. We said it yesterday after the game. We've, we've used him now out of timeouts, depending upon how people are guarding him, because when he sets a, a ball screen, or we call it a ghost screen, where he looks like you're going to set the screen and then you get out of the way, it causes confusion for the defense. So now when we see a way a team is defending him, if they're not switching, now he actually goes and sets that ball screen and allows for a guard to get downhill and get a layup or a dump off to a big guy. So some of the things that he's able to do to help our offense don't show up in the stat sheet, or his field goal attempts may look like they're down. It's like, we've got to get him more shots. It's like, well, Yes and no. Even going back a couple of years ago, Eric Reed was a great three-point shooter for us. So we get him more threes, get him more threes. Well, if you get him more threes and he misses more threes, then the percentage goes down. So keep taking the right kind of shots so you can be an efficient basketball player, and that's what makes offenses run. And Adam helps in a lot of different ways. So getting to the line like he did yesterday's game, that's another element of his game, using a shot fake, not just settling behind the arc and getting to the foul line. And then – He's done a nice job, a better job of getting rebounds as well. Because sometimes, again, you don't have to be the most physical guy to get a rebound. Dennis Robin wasn't the tallest guy on the court. He just had a mentality and a heart and a knack for the ball. So 
go get the ball. He did it yesterday. He just went and got two rebounds. Um, and we did not do that the day be- the game before in UMKC. So even against fit more physical teams, sometimes you just got to get the ball, and he has enough physical tools and talent to just be able to go grab the ball as well. So, uh, you know, if you would see a game uh, early in his career where he had two field goals, then you'd say, well, he's probably got uh, six or seven points in the basketball game. Not like yesterday. He had two field goals. But he was 10 of 12 from the free throw line. He had shot seven, or he'd shot 10 free throws all season in the first seven games. And he gets to the line 12 times and knocks down 10 of them, uh, taking the ball to the basket. You think that's something we're going to see evolve in his game? Yeah, he's going to have to. You know, he's going to have to. You're not, he's not going to be able to just stand out there and shoot threes. People aren't going to just let him do that. He's one of the tops in the country, and he's going to move up uh, on the scouting report. He's our leading scorer right now so uh, that's going to continue to be something the evolution for him learning how to use screens uh, being able to get his into the defender more and use the screen and because uh, he doesn't need a lot of time he doesn't need a lot of space and so he got six free throws at least yesterday on getting fouled by uh, at the, on the three-point line so again people are going to panic their coach the whole time with young know where he is know where he is so again that's going to learning how setting screens now knowing when to go it's getting in transition playing behind the ball in transition for a little pitchback a la villanova game winner and then say championship game things like that we can't run a set for for adam every time down the floor just to get a three-point shot up you know the game of basketball you got to play and then use your strengths to set up the next part of your game so him getting to the foul line on rips and attacking the rim in, in space but then also like chris harris a year ago consistently got fouled at the three-point line. I was going to say, has Chris Harris been giving him tips on how to get fouled taking a three-point shot? Yeah, and then Chris is kind of that, he's like Cousin Eddie, he just can't get rid of him. He's still around town, and so he maybe he's been giving Adam some pointers here until he leaves next week, uh, hopefully to go overseas. But, um, again, when you going into a game, that's going to be the scouting report. You know, you can't let Chris Harris shoot, catch and shoot threes. You, you know where Adam Larson is at all times. And so now, because of his quick release and his size at 6'9", and he gets the ball off quickly, defenses panic, and then they just overrun it. And so now that's going to open up getting fouled at the three-point line if you're ready, but then also setting up driving angles and being able to get to the basket as well. And uh, I don't think uh, his three-point shot is going to get blocked very often at 6'9", and where he shoots it from. Yeah, and we tell guys all the time, if you're if – you're, Getting a shot block for the three-point line, it was not a good shot. Uh, that, that's the telltale sign. So, uh, real quick, speaking of Chris Harris, we just had him on the coaches show, mm-hmm. and when we were talking about some of the Red Hawks off the championship team that uh, you know were going overseas and playing some pro basketball, we, we asked him about that, and he said, no, I think, uh, I think I'm done with basketball. I'm trying to get a foothold in the business world, and then lo and behold, you told us yesterday in the postgame show he is going to go play some pro ball. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think about Chris, and um, it's kind of, it's that old saying, you know, you got a plan, and then God laughs. And I think Chris had a plan, and all of a sudden things just opened up. I'm just really excited that he's going to go give it a shot. I, my whole message to Chris is be just go try it. You know, I don't have many. I try not to live my life with regrets, Eric, and that's the one regret I have in my whole life is that I didn't go try and play overseas. Not because you could have turned into an NBA guy or lived this lavish lifestyle, but just to be able to continue to go play the game and see the world through the game of basketball. That's um, that's one of those things that you've got this window, and if you give that window away, you're never getting it back. And so I'm glad he's going to go over there and, and pursue that. Israel Barnes is over there having a heck of a start to his professional career, and it doesn't matter where you go or how much money you make in those first 
two, three years when you go over there. It's about going and making a name for yourself, proving your worth, and then other teams see you, other clubs see you, and then that propels you. Then you get another year, you go to a different club. And it's just real life. It's real business stuff. But uh, can't give up those experiences. Nate Johnson, you know, I think when he first came here, never in a million years would have thought he'd be playing pro basketball right now. So all three of those guys, Manny Patterson went and played pro. So it's not only are they going to play pro ball and living out a dream, and it looks different for each guy. It may not be the NBA. You know, you may not be an Antonius Cleveland type guy, but there's still a place for you out there if you want to pursue that. But it's one of those things that if you don't go pursue it right away, you're probably not going to be able to jump back in because you're not getting any younger. And there's a lot of competition out there. Uh, so those guys to be able to go that, Chris with a degree, Nate with two degrees, Israel with a degree, to get your degree, to be a champion, and then go play pro. What else you, you know what I mean? What else could you ask for? I'm sure since you've become the uh, head coach now, it's year four. Uh, that you have uh, met Roy Booker, who is from yeah. Portageville, uh, and played for SEMO and led the OVC in scoring. He had a long, long career overseas, longer than, than a lot of people, was really successful over there. Tyler Stone, who was a dominant player at SEMO, the transfer from Mizzou, he has a long, he may still be playing professional basketball, but, I mean, there are, there are a lot of guys that have come through SEMO that have had really nice careers playing pro basketball. Yeah, it's, a, it's you know, Israel Barnes, for instance, he just he didn't have a whole lot of things going on. Then he gets one call, and literally in four days he was gone. You know, he's and now he's averaging upper 20s. It's a lower-level uh, division, but he's going to go make a name for himself. And, it's again, it's one of those situations. If you don't get over there and give it a chance, you never know what can happen. And Israel, I think, could be one of those guys that goes over there and ends up staying for 10, 15, 20 years. Who knows? It's just a, it's a shorter season. It's, um, it, you literally are a pro. It's practice and games, and that's, that's all it is. And depending upon where you go, depending upon the money you can make and the, the lifestyle that you get to, to live and have an apartment, some places give you a car, um, there's some real money over there. Um, and, and you can make a real life and a real career out of it. And again, you get to go see the world. I mean, uh, it's really a, a unique opportunity. And there's a, but again, that's the great message to our guys too. There's a lot of competition out there. You know, if you, you got Simo guys over, you got Murray guys, you got K State, you got all these guys that want to play pro. What are you doing to separate yourself in order to stay over there? Because it's not, Coach Weber used to always tell the guys at K State, it's not about getting in the NBA, it's about staying in the NBA. So it's not about getting overseas. Any, I don't want to say anybody can go overseas, but you can get over there. Now it's about what kind of life can you make for yourself once you get over there. So Chris Harris, uh, you mentioned, uh, I think he said Switzerland is, is where he potentially is headed? Correct, correct. Yeah, he just got a call. You know anything about Switzerland? Uh, actually, yeah, we went there, actually. I've been, okay. I, I've been to Switzerland. Um, we stayed right across, uh, right on Lake Geneva. Uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful part of the world. Um, we did a tour over there when I was at K-State. went to Italy. So we did an Italy tour, and then we went and made our way through the Swiss Alps and then on to Switzerland. So we were there for two, three nights, I believe it was. Uh, but we just we stayed right across, the, right on Lake Geneva. I mean, gorgeous. Uh, very expensive country, but very nice. Very nice. Hey, we want to let everybody know uh, after the Red Hawks played uh, five of their first seven games on the road in the month of November, they will play seven of nine games, uh, seven games, I believe. Uh, it, Hans, is that right? Seven home games in the month of December? Five. Five of the seven games in December uh, will be at the Show Me Center, including Wednesday, and Wednesday's game is going to be the annual Happy Slapowitz Teddy Bear Toss. So fans are asked to bring a new stuffed animal. You get a chance to throw it on the court during halftime 
of Wednesday's games, and all of the stuffed animals are going to be donated to Toys for Tots. And, of course, Toys for Tots, local children, and all of those toys stay right here. Last year in the Happy Slapowitz Teddy Bear Toss game, they collected 243 stuffed animals for Toys for Tots. So keep that in mind uh, and plan to bring a stuffed animal and uh, bring the youngsters, the little slappies, they will love to uh, be there. We saw 2,000 of the uh, little elementary school students cheering for the Red Hawk women last week in their game against Harris Stowe, and uh, it will be Harris Stowe who the Red Hawks play on Wednesday. So bring your stuffed animals to the basketball game. That's a cool little uh, promotion that they do. Yeah, I know everybody gets excited about that. And, again, that's what the that's cool thing about basketball, the time of year that it is. You get Thanksgiving, a lot to be thankful for. Christmas, a lot to, again, to reflect and be thankful. I mean, we tell the guys all the time, if the world could just throw all their problems out there for everybody to see, you'd probably grab your own back. So as bad as it may seem for you, it really isn't that bad. And uh, even though we hit our head a little bit early on in the season here, there's a whole lot to look forward to in the month of December from a basketball standpoint and a, a life standpoint. So you always want to give back, reach out. There's someone always less fortunate than you, no matter how bad it may be. And so just instilling some, some inspiration and some hope, that's what this time of year is all about. You had to be pleased yesterday getting uh, to the free throw line 33 times, uh, and you had not been shooting the free throws as uh, you know good as you did last year early but yesterday you had a great day from the free throw line 26 for 33 79 percent and you take that uh, every game the rest of the season yeah and that's something we talked about after the game too eric i think our offense had been well, i don't think i know our offense had been sputtering a big part of that is getting to the foul line and that was good to see today the last night the other part of our getting for offense for us to get going is scoring on bob's baseline out of bounds and we did that against UMKC for the first time all year. We really scored well on that. So if you're getting to the foul line, you're scoring on BOBs, you're getting in transition, those are all things that really help your offense go up in the efficiency numbers and the points per possession and all that type of stuff, tempo. If you're scoring when the clock isn't moving, that obviously helps your point per possession. So if your three-point percentage isn't as great or if your field goal percentage isn't as great, you're still able to be there. Because we didn't have great, just awesome offensive percentage even a year ago. But we did get to the foul line a lot, and we made free throws. We scored on BOBs. You're able to score and convert in transition. So those, those that part of offense kind of gets uh, glossed over or overlooked a little bit, but it's a huge part of increasing those numbers and, and flow and tempo and everything else like that uh, as it relates to all the other numbers and, and the games that you play, and it really helps your offense. And so when you – even a Quan Smart, 9 of 10, I think it was, from the foul line. So if you've got multiple guys, the floor is open, the floor is spaced, you get into the bonus early – helps big guys you know it helps guards it, defenses can't be as aggressive on you so there's a whole lot that goes into it other than just standing out there shooting a bunch of threes that's not that's not going to be a winning formula a winning formula for us is dominating the special teams kind of you know, you talk about in football which is the bobs and transition game and the free throw line and then also being able to score in transition to where defenses can't get set you know, I know in some programs there are uh, assistant coaches that are specifically responsible for yeah. BOBs. Is that the case with you? Do you have a specific coach uh, that focuses in on that, or does that kind of fall on you? You know what? I It, it kind of falls on me. Um, we don't do the coordinator thing. A lot of basketball coaches have gone to that, to your point, is where one assistant will be the offensive coordinator, one assistant will be the defensive coordinator. Uh, we don't do that. We, we pass scouts around. Um, 
that's something Coach Weber did when I was an assistant, even Coach Lowry when I was an assistant for him, and even Paul Lusk when I was assistant for him. Now, one year when I was with Coach Lusk at Missouri State, I, w- I was the defensive coordinator, and that was miserable. Uh, so we don't do that here. And I, li- I like keeps the guys fresh and get new perspective on, uh, on opponents, and we change that around from year to year. So you wouldn't just have the Moorhead State scout for your whole time here. We kind of will rotate those around. So it keeps, them, keeps guys fresh, keeps them on edge, I think. And, again, another voice to the guys, I think, especially with the long season that it is, some things can get mundane and kind of boring. So I think to rotate it is the best way to go about it. But um, So if you're playing Moorhead State twice, you don't have the same assistant do that, it? Or yes. Within one season, maybe it'll be the same guy. Correct, okay. correct. So if you have the Moorhead for, let's say, the 23-24 season, that's your scout. You will have them for that whole year. Okay. But now maybe in 24-25, maybe I won't give you that particular team just based upon how the other scout schedules uh, work out. But um, I think it's great preparation, though, too. Um, you know, we want, I want all of our assistants to move on and go to, on to be head coaches, and I think that's the best way to get the most experience is to be able to have hands-on. I try to give it to them. I know when I was with Coach Weber at K-State, I, he always did a great job, I thought, of I always felt like I was in control of the team for that game plan. Uh, and he gave us a lot of a leeway, but you're, obviously your scout had to be on point or you were going to get exposed. And uh, something I took great pride in, I had Texas, Baylor, and TCU the time that I was at K-State. So I had all those scouts every single year, and Baylor was number one in the country, and Texas is Texas. And so um, a lot of the, to your earlier question, a lot of the my infatuation with BOBs came from Coach Drew, uh, Scott Drew, whose wife is from Cape, and they were excellent at BOBs, and they ran them. They had a million of them, but, again, it's just that I don't think people think about it a lot when they think about offense and scoring is if you can dominate that area of the game, I mean, that clock's not moving. It just, it's demoralizing when you give up scores on BOBs. And you think about it, too, Eric, just in a – where's the ball in a BOB? It's pretty close to the basket. And what yep. are all offenses designed to do? Get the ball as close to the basket as you get. So let's capitalize and take advantage of this. So to your question is if someone else handles that, I like to handle that because I, that's one of the questions I ask the assistants, how do they guard BOBs? And then try to have – we have multiple things that we try to score on them on, on that. So – it's a big part of what we. It's a big part of what we do, and I think it helps us uh, score. And when you have again particular players like Adam or guys that have certain skill sets, like a Braxton Stacker, for instance, who's a great vertical leaper, it just opens up a whole lot of things. But the Big Twelve and scouting in the Big Twelve just really opened my eyes to that. Coach Bill Self does a tremendous job on bobs. They always lob it on somebody that wants a game, and you have to account for that. And those can be huge momentum plays. You know, a guy like Adam who might be struggling shooting. If we can sneak him a layup or he gets fouled on a BOB, now he gets to the foul line. Now his next three is going to go in. So there's a there's a whole lot of layers that go into it. Um, but I would say that the, the Big 12 and just the preparation that you had to be on point with everything and the way that we defended at K-State uh, really opened my eyes to that side of, of adding another layer to your offense other than just plays. I know every coach is different with their philosophies, like with Coach Tuke. He doesn't watch college football. He, he doesn't watch a lot of football. He watches a lot of film, yeah. but not a lot of football. You're different in that you're a basketball guy. You watch, You get on ESPN+, Plus. you're watching basketball games. How often are you watching a game or does it happen occasionally? Ooh, I like that play. Let me jot that down. That, I like that B.O.B. Uh, let me see if we can kind of let, – let's work on that. I, I like what I just saw right there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it is a game of stealing. I think, you know – I shouldn't say that, Jim Harbaugh in Michigan and all that. But uh, <laughs> um, it is a game of borrowing uh, when you see something. But, again, I think the best coaches, because we all borrow from each other, 
but it's borrowing what fits your personnel. And so I think the best coaches are able to borrow the, the right kind of plays and implement them because it fits your personnel. But I've got two TVs down in my basement right now, and one's always on ESPN Plus and one's on – because, again, you can't – it just helps. It's just like reading a book. It's just it's new ideas. It's new thoughts. It's different. The game is always evolving. You know, if you if you just stay the same, you're going to get passed up. So you've always got to be, you know, what, kind of what's that next thing? What's that next play? What's that next action that you can run that someone hasn't seen? Because that can be the difference in a game, or it can get a guy going. And now that if one guy's playing really well and he's got a high level of confidence, that feeds on to the next guy and on. So anything, any of those things can help. And I would, I would say too is a lot. And even Coach Wheeler. Um, a lot of sharing back and forth between Twitter. Twitter actually is a really good um, uh, platform to use because a lot of guys will cut up those specific plays. You don't have to sit there and watch a full game for two hours, but you can get a, a particular clip. And there's about four or five guys that you follow that that's all they do. That's their whole Twitter feed is, is those types of things and actions. It's really, really good for special situations. So if you're down two and you need a three or whatever the scenario may be, it's use it quite a bit, quite honestly. You know, I know when you were at Kansas State that Kansas was the arch rival of, uh, of K-State. But when you watch Bill Self and you have seen him up close, you've coached against him, I'm sure you've game plan, helped game plan for uh, the University of Kansas. Uh, some guys are really good recruiters. Other guys are really good X's and O's guys, may not be as good a recruiter. You know, the, the knock on John Calipari is always he's a great recruiter. I don't know how good he is as far as an in-game X's and O guy. How good is Bill Self as a college basketball coach? I, I mean, he's one of the best, and it's, it's no secret why they win. Of course they have great players, and of course it's a blue blood program. Uh, but the thing I noticed the, or recognized the, the most about him and even Coach Huggins at West Virginia, uh, you're talking about, of course, Hall of Famers win a ton of games. But the thing that I respected about them the most is they were never too scared to go away from what wasn't working. And so what I mean by that, one game in particular, we're at home at K-State, and we're, we're beating Kansas. I mean, we're up 12. We're playing very, very well. With about 10 minutes to go out of a timeout, he just pops up into a 2-3. And it was like, well, they haven't shown a 2-3 all season long. And then we our offense went dry, and they ultimately ended up winning that basketball game because he went to the 2-3 with 10 minutes to go. Big 12 champ or Big 12 uh, tournament. We're up on West Virginia, and again, six minutes to go. We're controlling the game. We're up six to eight points. Coach Huggins comes out in a one-three-one, which he had showed early in November, and then we sputter again, and they come back and ultimately win the game. And so those guys, even they're Hall of Fame. It's like they've got the more clout than anybody that can say, "No, you guys need to keep doing what I'm telling you. Do it, do it, do it, do it." They weren't afraid to go against what they had practiced because what was needed at the time was to make a change and make an adjustment to win the basketball game. Uh, now, I know that probably the next day in practice or film, uh, there's probably a different message being sent. But in that moment, Hall of Fame guys not a, not scared to make an adjustment and to realize and recognize, all right, this isn't working right now. What can we do to change that? And understanding those things, seeing those things happen live action and ultimately losing the game because of that. I think we did a poor. I did a poor job of it, even in the NCAA tournament. We should have went to zone earlier in the NCAA tournament game against Corpus. Uh, we were fouling like crazy. All of them were bad calls, but we were fouling too much, and we should have went to the zone earlier because it did cause them problems and allowed us to get back into the game. Um, so again, but you got to be able to make adjustments. You got to be able to make in-game adjustments. I think the best coaches make the the best in-game adjustments. If you were ranking maybe the top five 
college basketball coaches in your mind because I know you see a lot of them. Uh, some names that may be in Brad Corn's top five. Uh, you've obviously Coach Self. You mentioned. Uh, I, I think Coach Hurley at UConn does a fantastic job. Uh, I think Mick Cronin at UCLA. Uh, all his teams do is win. Uh, you can't mention top five coaches. I don't think without mentioning Mark Few and Coach Few and what he's what he does at Gonzaga. Um, uh, that's four off the top of my head. Who's that? He's not coaching. Dang. Joe Hobbs Peter came, with a, came with a Mike Shashevsky reference, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll go with I'm, – I'm trying to think if there's somebody else that I just am completely uh, missing. The one the one guy I will say that I, I really um, – I think Ed Cooley does a tremendous job at Georgetown. Um, any of those guys that win kind of in hard jobs or come out of nowhere and have had you know, a bunch of success, uh, they're obviously doing something right. But I think Ed, Ed Cooley, uh, Leonard Hamilton, I think, is a fantastic coach down at Florida State. Um, and then, of course, Matt Painter. You know, Purdue, X's and O's, and uh, just the way his, his teams play. Uh, but that, there's there's good players, there's good coaches everywhere. But I think those are some of the best. If I had to give you a five to a ten, top ten, those are guys that come to mind right away. And you know, since you've been here, you've had coaching turnover at this level. That is a that's a very real thing. Uh, how much of a challenge is that when you're constantly churning and having to uh, get a new assistant coach or lose an assistant coach? Uh, it's it's got to be a little bittersweet because you want these guys to move up. You want these guys to excel in their career. But, uh, you know, you, it, it, it's somebody you're going to have to replace, somebody you've got a relationship with, and somebody that's been helping you win. Yeah, I think that's – you put it the best way is it is bittersweet. Um, you know, Sam McMahon, for instance, was here, and he gets an opportunity to go be a Division two head coach at Missouri Southern State University where his wife is kind of from where he worked before. So, so how do you not be happy for, for that situation? Coach Pickens a year ago gets an opportunity to, to go up a level, if you will, in conference play and, and help his family, and he had been here for five years. So it kind of was time for him to go. So you're excited to see him go, but he's a great assistant uh, coach. And Dustin Yoder was here before he left. His wife is from 30 minutes to actually live right where she grew up. Uh, and they just had a baby girl. So, again, you're fighting family, uh, that dynamic to pull him back that way. So I, I think we're always going to fight that. Uh, that never goes away. Uh, but I think that uh, just like a player too, though, I mean, as long as you're doing what you're supposed to do and helping the program, and if it's a better situation, I want to help those guys as much as possible. I don't want to hold them back. I'd love for them to be here for the next 10 years and we win championships every year and no one ever moves. But that's just that's not the reality, especially in the sport. And with as much turnover as there is in the sport, um, and the way that it's kind of going, you're, that's never going to stop. If anything, I think it's probably going to just keep on increasing. So I'll, I'll, I'll give a, a Saluki reference here because it's, a, it's an exception to the rule. When I was going to SIU, Rich Heron was the coach, and they were going to NCAA tournaments, and, you know, Chris Carr, Ashraf Amaya, mm -hmm. Marcus Timmons, Paul Lusk, Shane Hawkins, all those guys, you know, in those great teams. But Rodney Watson was a just – He's the exception to the rule. He was an assist. How many how many coaches was he an assistant for at SIU, which never happens? And, you know, he got his shot to be a, a, a head coach. Yeah. But isn't that the exception to the rule, a guy like Rodney Watson at SIU? Yeah, absolutely. I think he was there for 20-plus years. Yeah. I know he was at least 20. Uh, he was there with Coach Aaron, Coach Weber, Coach Painter, Coach Lowry. 
Um, that he, never happens, right? Never, never. And his kids, I think, went to the same grade school and high school, and he has four kids. Uh, so I know my kids aren't. They've already on. They're already on their fourth school, and his kids only went to one. So I don't think that uh, you'll see that very often. Maybe at the, uh, maybe at the Dukes of the World, when you've got a guy like Coach Williams or Coach K that is, that are obviously established. Um, coach Tang, who's now the head coach at K State, was at Baylor for 18 years. Um, so you do have some of those longtime assistants, Tommy Lloyd, who's now I forgot to mention him as one of the best coaches, um, who's now at Arizona, but he's at Gonzaga for. 15 years so i think there's outliers but yeah that's not the norm all right uh, so aquan smart uh, really had a good game for you yesterday coach uh, he was your leading scorer 19 points uh, as you mentioned went nine of ten from the free throw line uh, he also handed out five assists in the game just two turnovers he had a steal that was a, a real breakout game for aquan smart because he got out of the blocks a little slowly and one of the things you mentioned, you kind of felt like maybe you know, Quan being one of the veteran guys, you know, one of the guys that uh, the returners that maybe he was trying to do a little too much early in the season. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it was. I think he put so much pressure on himself to perform at this level instead of just doing what he can do. And we try to tell him it's one thing to tell a guy, but then when you go into a game and he heat a battle, it's like, well, I'm not having the success that I want to have, so let me let me go hard and then all of a sudden you you keep not having success so uh, it was good for him to see it. even umkc i know it was a terrible game we did not play well we got out toughed um, but he played better in that game so again you're starting to see a pattern of what he can be in the consistency that's all you want from your older guys is consistency and the thing about aquan is he has given us consistent effort all through practices he was one of our best guys for the first 25 of our first 30 practices uh, he, he wants to win. He says the right things to the guys as it relates as it, to a teammate. And so now it's just when you don't have success and then you get a little bit emotional about it, now the game all of a sudden falls third behind all those things. And so now he's been able to flip that back. And we have to have consistency. You know, Josh has been out. He had a great game against Central Arkansas. Dylan and Kobe are out. So where is that? Not just leadership from a from an example standpoint, but where is the production leadership going to come from? It's got to come from him. And, it, and production leadership doesn't mean you score average 20 and never make a mistake and make every shot. That's not what that is. It's doing what you can do and what you bring to the table every single game so we know what to depend on that. And if you do that, then your stats and your role will be what that says. But you got to do those things first. So Josh Early missed the game with an injury. I, know, I think it's a hip and Josh you know, talked to him before the game. He said he's hoping to, to be back pretty quick. What do we know about Josh Early? Because certainly he's an important piece. Yeah, he's, he's an important piece. And, um, you know, again, we talk about trying too much with the corner in the season. I think Josh tried too hard against UMKC because he's from KC. So, of course, a lot of people that haven't got to see him play, he wants to play perfect. And now when I don't play perfect, I don't make my first shot. Now, you know, so I – Getting him back into the right frame of mind is going to be very, very important because, again, what he can do, a lot of other guys can't do that we'll go up against. Uh, Josh is one of those guys that you can put him in any kind of – when he's right, you can put him in any game and he can survive because he's got great touch, great hands, he's, he's strong and all that. So I feel good about him as long as he's healthy, but he's got to get back healthy. He's just been dealing with his nagging uh, muscle, groin, ab, whatever you want to call it. Um, so, again, some time off. Could he come back Wednesday potentially? Is that the best thing? We'll see. Uh, so we'll get with Amanda, our trainer, and 
kind of see where he's at, see where he's at today, this afternoon, see where he's at tomorrow, work his way back into practice again. You're not going to just go from – we can't go from zero to 100 with these guys, and especially a big guy like Josh, a senior guy, just working him back and what makes sense. Again, we were able to play well against Missouri Baptist without him. You know, can we get through another game without him and get him ready for Saturday? Maybe that's the best approach, but we'll see how that goes today and tomorrow. And then after the happy Slapowitz game on uh, Wednesday against Harris Stowe, it's back out on the road uh, to Purdue, Fort Wayne. And, uh, oh, by the way, they're 8-1. and one. Uh, I just checked their record today. And some of the, the teams that are on your schedule, I mean, you know, Evansville won in overtime against Northern Iowa. They're 7-1. and one. Uh, Still just one loss for Grand Canyon. Purdue Fort Wayne is eight and one. Just looked at Illinois State is two and zero oh in the Valley. You've still got to go there. So uh, you've still uh, you've got this is a tough schedule. It it is, and it's been a little bit of a backfire because I think all those guys, all those, and that's why preseason rankings really don't mean anything. I think every team on the on our. Um, schedule preseason ranking they were below fifth you know evansville was picked low nobody expected evansville to be i think this fort guy. wayne was even picked last for in the horizon i mean i don't know how that happens coach kaufman does a tremendous job up there so uh, it's been a little bit of a backfire teams are playing well uh, but again it, it it all goes up and down and someone's going to hit some adversity somewhere we hit ours early i hope and, and think that we're on the other side of it again hopefully we can get back a little bit more healthy Yesterday was a, a really good step in the right direction because we played well both sides. We played well in all facets. Uh, and you need to see some of those things to, to continue to reinforce the positive of what you're doing well. So hopefully we can have the same kind of a performance Wednesday where we're playing the way that we needed to play. I saw some carryover from what we adjusted and, and changed. Um, even since trying to sense Chattanooga, we did not do that at all against UMKC. So to be able to see it yesterday, see it again on Wednesday, and then a huge, huge test on Saturday. Um, a team that we haven't beat uh, since I've been here. We've played them three years. This will be the third year, I think it was, because we took the COVID year off. Right. Yeah, we took the COVID year off from that game. So uh, we haven't played well, didn't play well against the, home against them. Uh, a year ago, I had a bunch of guys out with injury and illness again that, that game. So a uh, huge test on the road. And as you mentioned, a huge test in the Missouri Valley on the road again before Christmas. So, um, you know, but again, keeping some momentum going, playing well in all facets of the game, not just one, getting our offense going a little bit. Again, anytime you can score points, it, it just it helps everything else. If we go long stretches and two points in eight minutes of game time, I don't I don't know who it doesn't matter it's who tough. you're playing, you're not yeah. gonna you know, you're not gonna have success. So I know that score was ugly and nasty. It just we, we just could not score against UMKC. Things, shots weren't falling. So to get some consistency and some confidence up here in this next week or two, I think it's going to be huge for us moving forward. For those who didn't hear you on the radio yesterday, or maybe you pass along this story, Chris Harris, who you mentioned, uh, he's had a chance to be around the program here. Uh, you got some feedback from Chris Harris that you thought really helped uh, game planning, right? Yeah, he just he came up to, to the office because he'd started once he – Thought he was going to go back overseas and thinks he's going to get these, this contract. And um, So he's been been practice a little bit at the beginning, trying to run uh, and get himself back in shape. And um, Chris has always kind of bounced around. I think he's very appreciative of what everything that Seymour has provided him. And uh, so he has, a, he has a pride about him. And that's the cool thing about a program and having guys come back. And he just came up in the office and said, hey, what do you think is going on? Even Nate Johnson texted me, like, what's going on? And uh, those guys still talk to the players. Via text and, and all that, so he just was like, "Hey, what? 
you know, I think some of the guys, they look a little bit lost out there. They don't know where to go. And here's what we did a year ago. And they thought it was really good, Coach. And I was like, you know what, Chris, I don't think I've emphasized that enough in this last month. You know, at the beginning you do. I was like, but I think we've lost our way a little bit as far as not emphasizing that enough as coaches. So, it, And part of that was spacing, right? Something that he noticed. Yeah, and it's something that we do and um, when plays don't work. And I think our guys were trying to run and execute plays, but trying to score every time off the play. And one of the beautiful things about us, and even a year ago, was that we weren't play dependent. We still played basketball if the play didn't work. And I think that's where we were missing some things and the spacing and angles. And it fits really well within our personnel now. Uh, so, again, I, it just made me kind of reflect back and be like, you know what, I don't think we're we're doing it, but we're not doing it to the level that we did it in the past. And so I think this will help us. And so now we can continue to do that. But that, I think that's a good moment. That's what programs and players and um, smart players are supposed to be about. And that's what, you know, for me, it's not just the players not having um, success or shooting a poor percentage. It's like, well, I'm the coach. Well, how, how am I helping them? You know, and if I'm not willing to look myself in the mirror and make adjustments and changes, well, how's the team going? So I could just sit there and bark at guys and tell them to make shots. It's like, well, they're obviously not making them. So what can you do to help them? And I think that's just something that's going to help us. Is it the cure-all, be-all? You know, are we going to now go not lose a game the rest of the season? You know, no, that's probably not the reality. But making changes, making adjustments like we talked about with Coach Self and Coach Huggins in game stuff. You still have to make adjustments in your practice and your philosophy too as you go throughout the season because some things might not be working. And so, what what adjustments can you make in order to make yourself better right now that can ultimately also make you better in the end? All right, we're going to talk to uh, Adam Larson, who is also six feet nine as you are. What size shoe do you wear, Coach? I'm a thirteen. Thirteen, okay. I'm a 13, but I'm not a 6'9". I'm going to guess that uh, maybe Adam's a little bigger than 13. We're going to ask him when we come back. Adam Larson, the uh, sophomore from Fenimore, Wisconsin, is going to join us when we come back. It's the Red Hawks Coaches Show. We're live at Wings, etc. in Jackson on SEMO. Adam Larson joins us here on the Coaches Show. How uh, How was your lunch? Oh, it was good. Appreciate Joe for letting us come out and enjoy this place. So what uh, what was on the lunch menu for you? I had 10 boneless wings. All right. What flavor? Uh, sweet chili. Sweet chili. Yep. All right. Is that your go-to when you when you come to wings? Yep. All right. Now, why the uh, why boneless and not the bone-in? I know if I go boneless, it's because I don't want to get my hands all messy, but uh, what's your reasoning? That's exactly what it is for me, too. I just don't like to get all messy when I eat, especially when i got to come up here next, so... Just took the easy way out. I don't blame you. Uh, and uh, the way that some people uh, eat their wings, they need bibs. I don't know that they got <laughs> bibs here at Wings, etc. cetera. Uh, so uh, big game yesterday. And uh, what was uh, this outburst from the free throw line? You got to the free throw line 12 times yesterday. Now, it helped that you got, you got fouled on a couple of uh, three-point baskets. But uh, how about the way that uh, you were able to get to the line? Well, I didn't really expect to get eight threes off yesterday just with, like, the scouting report and things like that. But obviously I got eight off and they didn't go in. But uh, I just tried to do something different that I don't normally do. So it will help me going into the games moving forward. I obviously talked to Coach uh, after the UMKC game and just about, like, doing different things and, like, coming off screens and just being, like, more of a decoy and things like that just to help everybody else. So I just try to do what the coaches want me to do and 
that's just how the game works out, I guess. How often do you hear from the coaches, hey, man, you can get to the rim, you're 6'9", you're long, you can have success taking the ball to the basket? How often do you hear that? Oh, they definitely tell me that. I've obviously shown it a couple of times, like in the Butler game and at the Evansville game at home. Um, it's something I need to just keep doing now with teams flying out at me at the three-point line. So I'll just continue to do that and get better at that. So hopefully we'll improve our team going forward. So now you're going to be asked to set some screens how often did they ask you to set screens at fenimore high school ever we actually ran a motion offense so that's all it was was screening okay so, so i'm like really familiar with that actually when i came here like the whole four out one in thing was like really different to me um we had i actually like i guess you could say i played the five at fenimore i was the biggest guy obviously um but we were all interchangeable spots ran motion so just constant screening and moving so that's how i kind of learned to shoot too coming off screens, like reading screens, knowing when to do certain things. Um, also in high school, I wasn't required to dribble the ball very much because I would come off a screen. It was either like one dribble, get to the rim, or like pop back and shoot it. So like that was totally different for me coming here too. So when you stepped on campus uh, as a freshman and you redshirted your freshman year, what was your weight and where are you right now as a redshirt sophomore? So when I first got here was right after state golf, and I think I was like 155 pounds. I like lost like 10 pounds at state golf. We walked like 36 holes. It was like 90 degrees. It was terrible. But um, last year before I got sick, I was around like 180, and now I'm back to like 171 or something like that. So hopefully getting back to that 180 point by the end of the year, but we'll see. And now and Coach Corn is very interested to know, we got his shoe size, 13. Yours is? 12 and a half. 12 and a yeah. half. So he's got, you, he's got you by half a size. <laughs> All right, how, how tough is it to, uh, with the golf club situation? Tell us your background in golf, and uh, you got to get special clubs, right? Yeah, I've just golfed ever since I was little. I just kind of got drug out to the golf course with my grandparents, with my dad, my brothers. Just everybody in my family has been a golfer, so... Um, high school golf came around, and I actually needed – I, I had a men's set originally, but I knew they were too short. And then uh, I got a new set my sophomore year of high school, and I had like three-and-a-half or four-inch extensions on my clubs, so that made a they're, – they're really long, and they were hard to hit for a long time. But I was eventually able to figure it out, and I still have the same clubs to this day. At what age did you get to six feet nine? Uh, probably between my sophomore and junior year. So 16, 17. How many inches did, did – what was your biggest growth spurt? Um, probably from eighth grade to freshman year, I probably went from 6'2", six, 6'3", six, to probably 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. But I always, like, consistently grew. It was never, like, one year where I was just – I gained a lot. You know, sometimes when guys have big growth spurts uh, at a young age, it can affect joints and knees. I know, you know, I've, I've known people – that get that Osgood slaughter, you know, yep. from from jumping up. How were your joints when you when you got your growth spurt? My sophomore year, it was actually really bad. Like during games, uh, it'd be cool before the game, but then like going into the locker room during halftime, like sitting down and not moving, like my knees would just lock up and they'd hurt really bad. And uh, like it hurt a lot to jump actually, so that was probably the worst part. But eventually, it's a lot better now. I struggled with it a little bit last year in the beginning. I missed a practice before USF last year. And I was able to, like, get it under control again and able to play. But, yeah, it's been a lot better this year. So the, your knees are good to go. Yeah, they're good. All right. Uh, you've got uh, the one for eight yesterday, which is not normal no. what we see from Adam. <laughs> I mean, you 
You're among the the best in the nation statistically. I think you came in 55%, 56% from three-point range. Uh, and immediately after the game, we're waiting for Coach Corn to come out for the post-game interview. And there's Adam Larson down at the other end getting up shots. And you got team managers out there kicking you the ball. Uh, when did it cross your mind, man, I need to get some shots up here? I, I just played uh, a 40-minute game, but I'm going to get up some shots. I, I, like, always have confidence in myself to, like, shoot the next one, to always keep shooting the next one. So I'm not a big guy that's like, oh, i got to get in the gym every single day and watch myself make 100 shots. But – I can't go home on a, after a game like that and feel good about myself. So I had to get in the gym, uh, see some shots go in, and then that's good. Move on to the next game, and everything will take care of itself. Ten for twelve from the free throw line. I mean, you, your your free throw shooting is improving. I yep. mean, uh, you, you last year, you know, I think maybe some people watched and thought, boy, he's such a good three point <laughs> shooter. I would think he's probably eighty five percent from the free throw line. But you're getting better this year from the strike. Yeah, in high school I was always like mid eighties, so like coming here and shooting like that was kind of crazy for me. But uh, I think it was just like a whole environment thing, totally different setting. So. I think I've settled into it more this year, and it's been a lot better. So when you redshirted, uh, you got a chance to work out, see what Division One basketball was on a jump from high school ball. How intimidating was that for you? Uh, I played in the Under Armour circuit for AAU in high school, so that was like uh, you played against like a lot of big-name guys. So that like helped a little bit. But then coming here, yeah, it was definitely a big jump from being from like a small school in a small town. But uh, I had guys like Chris and Nate that I grew really close with over the last two years, so they helped me a lot with that. And, like, they just told me, like, different pointers on what to do and what not to do, and it just really helped me a lot. Well, uh, I, I, Nate, he's not a guy that you're going to get shooting tips from. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, but that's it, kind of cool that uh, that he's playing uh, pro yeah. ball overseas, and uh, Chris is getting ready to uh, be a pro. Yep, I, I talked to those two pretty much every day still we still like get on facetime text back and forth about the games and things like that and they're just great guys great people to be around uh we'll definitely have like a really long lasting friendship after this so that's good you know i know how emotional nate johnson got when tennessee tech hit that shot and it looked like they had won the game it wasn't a three his foot was on the line so you kept playing what were you we didn't get a chance to talk to you i've talked to chris harris about it what were your emotions when Tech hits the shot? And it appears to everybody because the officials are ruling the game is over. Tech is celebrating. What were your initial emotions when that shot went in? Where I was at, I couldn't really see the line either just because of all the people like in between me and the where the shot took place. So I couldn't really tell, but like where he ended up after he shot it, he was like out of bounds. So I was like, okay, that had to have been a three. So I was like, dang, like. I've watched March Madness my whole life, and I'm like, we're going to be on the wrong side of March. Like, that was my first thoughts. And then, uh, like, Josh Early was, like, crying right away, and then, like, Nate's doing his thing. And I was just like, oh, like, of course, like, this is how it's going to end. But then, obviously, we were able to, like, hone it back in and come back and do what we needed to do in overtime to get to the tournament. That was one of the greatest things ever. How about Coach Korn uh, gathering everybody up while they went over to the to the video board and uh, trying to get you guys ready? I mean, it, it seemed like he had an innate knowledge that uh, we're going to keep playing this game. Yeah, he must have known somehow. I'm not sure how, but I saw him grab the clipboard right away, and he was drawing something up. I'm like, Coach, I think we just lost. But uh, obviously he knew what was going on more than I did, and, uh, yeah, he – brought us all back together and got us ready for overtime. Okay, so you were talking about uh, dealing with the heat and the fatigue of uh, the state golf tournament. Uh, how about the fatigue? Now, 
when you win a championship, your adrenaline is going crazy. But how much was fatigue a factor to play four games in four days? I mean, maybe you did that in a tournament in yeah. high school, but you're not going to do it very often in college. No. Uh, I think just getting to the championship game is the hardest part because once you get there, you obviously know what you're playing for at that point. So you just let your adrenaline and the team carry you through to the end. Because, like, obviously Chris and Phil and Nate had obviously played, I don't know how many minutes, but 30-plus minutes a game. So they obviously got out to a hot start in the Tennessee Tech game, so I, they were able to feed off the crowd and all of us. So I think that really got them through to the end. How big was Israel Barnes in that Tech game? That was probably one of the craziest shots I've ever seen. That was a great shot. That That is one. Yeah. That is a Hall of Fame bounce, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, especially on those really tight rims, too. That's something you wouldn't expect from the corner. But So here you are as a sophomore, and uh, coach, the coaches, I'm sure, are letting you know, hey, uh, it's going to be a different deal this year because you are way high up on the scouting report, whereas last year yep. there were other guys near the top of the scouting report. Well, it's definitely a lot different. Like when you come into the game, you obviously hear the uh, opposing like assistant coaches like yelling, like, "Oh, know where he's at!" Like, don't let him get off any threes, all that type of stuff. So, uh, the Mobab coach, uh, he obviously comes to a bunch of our practices. So I like knew him from yesterday, and like he was pretty funny during the game and stuff like that. But yeah. It's a lot different being at the top of the scouting report. Um, it makes you have to switch up what you do a lot more because they're definitely keying on you versus guys like Phil and Chris from last year. But it's just one of the next steps that I need to take in order to help the team. Man, a ball fake is going to be so big for you when you're out on the perimeter. you got a guy screaming at yep. you <laughs> uh, and just go right around him, right? Yep, that's the goal. How about the, the mid-range jumper? We know how you are at shooting threes. How about the mid-range jumper? That's kind of something in college basketball uh, we don't see as much as we used to. Everybody yeah. wants to shoot the three. Oh, I know I took one against Evansville at home that I made. Um, I've taken a couple on the year, but sometimes, like, Lately, I've just been trying to get to the rim on the, with the shot fake. I've been able to get my guy up in the air, and I've just been going hard to the rim. That's how I was able to get fouled a couple times last night, too. All right. Now, Chris Harris was the all-time master at getting fouled while shooting a three. Has he given you any tips, and did you utilize any of that yesterday when you got fouled? It was just kind of lucky yesterday, but the one I got fouled on in the corner, he was sitting right behind the bench, and I heard him yell out, nice flop, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> thanks. I appreciate it, but uh, – yeah, no, I don't know how he does it or whatever he did, but it was it was impressive. Uh, so, at six feet nine, I mean, you pretty cognizant that uh, you're you can get your shot off because you're just gonna flat out jump over people. I mean, you, you're gonna be you know going up against some guys with some length. Yeah. But uh, how confident are you at six nine with the way that you hit, shoot your jump shot? You're gonna be able to get your shot off against most players. Yeah, a lot of like couldn't or I don't know how it looks on camera or on TV, but uh, like a lot of people that think they probably get a good contest, it doesn't feel like much to me just because like I'm above their hand or like my shots above their hand, so it doesn't really affect me too much. But um, that's something that I've been able just to work on for the last three years while being here just with like a lot of contests and stuff like that to the point where it doesn't really affect me too much anymore. So you're the all-time leading scorer at Fenimore High School and the all-time shot blocker. Do you think you can become a, a pretty uh, consistent shot blocker at the collegiate level because, uh, you know, you've you've had your moments blocking shots this year? Yeah, it's been – it's definitely a lot different just because of the speed and stuff from high school. And, like, our defensive philosophy in high school too is totally different where – we, like, funneled a lot of stuff towards the middle, like, where I was, so that, like, helped me a lot there. But um, now in college, it's just more like weak side blocks and weak side rotations just 
catching up to the speed and timing and things like that. Obviously, that comes with time, but I'm, I think I'm starting to get a lot better at it. So hopefully over the next couple of years, it will continue to improve. All right. Who is the best shooter on the team? I'd like to say myself. Okay, but, uh, but who's the second best shooter? on? The, who would give you a run for the money? You guys are playing horse. Who Who's going to give you the best run for the money? I would say probably Evan Ursher. He's a really good standstill shooter. I know he's had his moments this year too, but he can really shoot the ball. And I've got to ask you this. Uh, that floater that B.J. Ward has, how often does he work on that? And, man, I, it seems like he – I'm not sure he's missed one this year. No, I remember uh, – one of the first practices when he got to SEMO, we were playing in the wreck, and it was like three-on-three three drill or something like that, and he came down the lane and shot some crazy floater, and I was like, what the heck? Of course, nothing but net straight in, but and it, he's been doing it ever since. You got some good golf courses in Fenimore or close to Fenimore? Oh, we have a we have a golf course in Fenimore that's pretty nice. Um, there's a couple really nice ones around. Whistling Straits is about two, three hours away from Fenimore, which, really? where they played the Ryder Cup a couple years yeah. ago. Uh, yeah, so... Stuff like that's really cool. Um, a lot of cool golf courses to experience, but, yeah. Uh, what's the best round you've ever shot? 76. 76. Yeah. All right. Who's the best golfer on the team? Probably me. I don't know anyone else that golfs. I was going to say, <laughs> anybody else go to the course with you? Chris would go with me a couple times last year. We go to the range, but, what's yeah. that? What's that swing look like? It's improving. Okay. <laughs> You're being very nice. All right, uh, big game on uh, Wednesday, and then we head to uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Always great to catch up with you, Adam. Thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. All right, that is Adam Larson. Coach uh, Brad Korn, one final uh, word before we uh, get out of here. When we come back, it is the Red Hawks Coaches Show on SEMO ESP. Right at the end of the show, uh, thanks to Adam Larson for joining us. Coach Brad Korn rejoins us. Uh, so uh, you Twelve and a half. We we found the mystery of uh, what size shoe uh, Adam Larson wears. I did not know that. I thought it would be under, but by the way he looked when you asked him that question, or you asked me that question. So, uh, pretty not standard. Two guys, six eight, six nine, with with thirteen and twelve and a half shoe sizes. Okay. So, uh, what's the game plan leading up uh, to the Wednesday game against Harris Stowe? Uh, I know that uh, you, you're more concerned about yourself than yeah. your opponent in a, in a game like this. Uh, so what uh, what are things you're going to be able to take from the game yesterday and move forward and practice uh, for the next couple of days? You no, know, I think it's going to be the positive reinforcement on the things that we've said uh, going back from not just UMKC but all the other games and then practices and now, you know, video proof, tangible video proof. There were these guys in the office today watching film individually before I came over. So... Uh, just seeing themselves, the positive reinforcement of, hey, this is exactly what we're talking about, and then see how it worked. One particular play was Rob Martin jumped into the gap on defense. They drove it in there, and in games past, because we've been struggling offensively, we're not as engaged defensively, and now teams are able to just continue to build leads on us, and then we can't come back from them. So he got into the gap the way he was supposed to. The guy guarding the ball got back in front. He got in. He got out. And they threw the ball out of bounds. And so just showing those types of plays, just constantly just reinforcing the, the good things that we, you know, have been talking about and how they translate it to the game and how we have to continue to keep doing those things. We can't just do it once. You can't do it just one possession in the game. We've talked about longer stretches of playing that way and being consistent. And that was what was so encouraging about the game last night is that I, I felt we offensively and defensively, we kind of started to click and become who we can be in the identity of our offense and our defense can be moving forward. So, again, just 
continual, continual improvement and staying true to those things that we, we've talked about and talked about and talked about, but now get to see him again in live action against an opponent and how it was beneficial to our team. And your big men uh, had their moments yesterday. I, I know the offense is, is a work in progress for uh, David Idana, but nine more rebounds. He just had a 12-rebound game, and then Mason handbacks six points. Um, he finishes with two rebounds, and he also handed out an assist in 15 minutes. Yeah, I've been really impressed with Mason. Um, the way he's, he moves on the block, he's got good touch, uh, really good moves for a big guy. I mean, he's, a, he's, a, he's big. Uh, David's big, but he's a little bit stiffer with his his movements around the basket. Uh, so Mason's been Mason's been great. Mason's been great even from a year ago. He keeps surprising us, but he comes to work every day, though. And I think that's the beautiful thing about David and Mason. You know exactly what you're getting when they come to practice every single day. You know exactly what they get. So it continues to build uh, that confidence that you have in them, uh, both sophomores. And so both sophomores, both that big. They enjoy physicality. They embrace physicality, uh, which you sometimes don't see a lot in big guys. And we just got to get them up to speed now. We got to get David up to speed around the rim uh, to be able to finish because he's he's better than what the stats show. Uh, he's, we're getting the ball in good positions, and now he's got to again, kind of how we talked about a Quan and just where your mind is at. He, for a big guy, he gets small around the rim, and the big you have to be bigger. The closer you get to the rim, the bigger you have to be, and so he's got to do a better job of, of taking that forward. And I'll tell you, he stays after every practice and shoots 100 free throws. So uh, at some point, that that's going to drop for him. But, again, what are you – how are you – we talk a lot with the guys and even with David specifically. Like, what are you telling yourself, you know, when you get to the line? I think that's probably more than anything. It's like, are you, what is your routine? Are you taking a deep breath? That sounds very elementary, but it literally is that simple, especially when you put in as much work as David. David gets there before practice and stretches. He stays after and shoots free throws. So – there's another flaw somewhere. So what are you telling yourself? Are you telling yourself that you can't make this? Uh, are you, what is your routine? Are you sticking with the same routine? Or do you, you know, it's like we got Adam here. We talked about golf. Like, are you doing this swing this time, this swing that time, and then you have no swing? Like, what is your, what are the two, three things that you're going to do every single time you go to the line? And once he starts getting that down, again, it's not, I don't know if he's ever going to be a 90% free throw shooter, but he's he's better than that, and I know he knows he's better than that as well because he puts in the work. 6.30 on Wednesday, the happy Slapowitz game. Make sure uh, if you're coming to the game, bring a uh, stuffed animal. You get to throw it right on the Show Me Center court. Coach, thanks so much for the time, and uh, we'll see you Wednesday. Okay, you got it, Eric. Thank you. All right, that's Coach Brad Korn. Thanks to Adam Larson. Great job by him. Thanks to Rachel Cook, Mike Rennick. Uh, on site. We'll get you back into regular programming on ESPN Radio. Enjoy the rest of your Monday, everybody. So long from Wings, etc. you got the home for you.